Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast. We're beginning a three-week series called Can You Hear Me Now? It's about voices, ours, finding them, using them, and being heard. And today we're going to focus on how society and even the church kind of quiets our voice. And then we're going to look at Jesus and see what he has to say about it. And I think what we're going to find is that he invites us to be heard. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. All right, we're going to dig into some deep content here. But before we do, I wanted to let you know that on, I think it's February 9th, I'm going to host a four-week Zoom conversation around this concept of voice. Four weeks. The first two weeks are going to talk about like how we hear God's voice, and we're actually going to get some tools to put that in practice. And then we're going to talk about our voices how Jesus views women's voices and why women aren't heard, why women self-silence, how do we do anything about it? What do we do with people whose voices aren't being heard? That's what we're going to do. And I want to invite you to go on over to the Marcella Project Facebook, or not the Facebook page, but my website, the Marcella Project. And on there, you can register. It's going to be four weeks. It's going to be on Tuesday nights from 7 to 8. You're going to get some fun articles to read, podcasts to listen to, scripture to noodle on, that kind of stuff. I'd love for you to join us. But for now, let's dig into what we're talking about today. Welcome back. Welcome back. So recently I was with some family members and we were talking and in the middle of the conversation, one of my family members turned to me and said, we know you'll speak your voice. I can't even remember what they were referencing. I'm pretty sure it wasn't a compliment, but I took it as one. And I said, yep, I have got a voice. And then I started sharing with this person why that was such a win for me. It was a win for me because I grew up in a verbally abusive home, and yet I had a voice. And this family member wanted me to qualify. What do, what do you mean by the fact that you grew up in a verbally abusive home? 
Have you ever noticed that sometimes those who haven't experienced abuse assume that those of us who have might be overreacting or exaggerating? Have you ever noticed that? So I asked this family member, do you really want to know? And I could tell by their expression, they weren't sure they did. And so I said stuff that was said to me and my mom and my sisters and brothers. Stuff that would make your skin crawl. And when I finished, I said, so yeah, that's what I meant when I said I grew up in a verbally abusive home. And I could tell they were a little taken back. And I thought, yeah, so was I when I experienced it. And then I started to share why I was so excited about their statement that I would use my voice. And this book I had been reading about voice, it's called She, yeah, just the title, She, by Caroline Lewis. And she asked these amazing questions in this book around the concept of voice. Questions like, how would you describe your voice as a child? What about through adolescence or early adulthood? And then you'd go on and on. And she asked us to think about adjectives that describe our voice. She asked, what kind of pictures come to mind when you imagine using your voice? And one of my favorite questions that she asked is, when and where were you encouraged to use your voice? Where has there been permission given to speak and be heard? Think about those questions for a moment. How would you answer them? I know, I know, there was a lot of them. <laughs> if you haven't already forgotten and you'd like to noodle on them, I, I'll go over to the Jackie Always Unplugged Facebook group page and I will post them there. And you can go and look and we can talk about these questions more there if you want to. So I had been noodling on Lewis's book questions about voice and I looked back and I thought, okay, as a young girl, what did I see? What, as, as an adolescent, what, what do I see? As a young adult, you know, and I went on and on and thought through the different stages of my life. And you know what I saw? You know what pictures came to my mind? Images of this young girl running outside, playing, yelling, laughing, talking loudly, freely saying what was on my mind. And it was glorious. So here's the thing. Even though there was abuse in my home, we kids were allowed to talk about it. We could name it, discuss it. We weren't asked to hide it or deny it. And I know. I know that isn't true for many of you. And I'm sorry. It's painful. Being asked to hide or deny is kind of a, of, of a silencing. And silencing is dehumanizing. And it's not of Jesus. In our house, we were invited to think to bring forth our thoughts, to offer our inner world, if you will, to the outer world in which we lived and moved. And I know that not everyone has had that experience where you were invited to not only develop your thoughts, but bring them to the table, safely offering them at the table. Oh, perhaps there was an abuse in the house, but you weren't allowed your ideas. Your voice wasn't allowed to present the full you, the true you, everything that you were thinking. Part of you was to stay silent, to not present, to not be. And it could have been in your home with a parent or a partner. And maybe it was outside of your home. Maybe it was someone in your faith community that didn't want that part of you presented. And that's painful, isn't it? And I want you to know it's not of Jesus. See, voice is something very important, and we need to talk about it. And I'll be honest, 
it's a painful subject. And you know why it's so painful when our voice isn't allowed or heard? Because voice is, among other things, about relationship, about being deeply known. Think of it this way. We are custodians of these two worlds, our inner life and the outer world. And voice is the bridge between them. Our voice allows us to present, to bring forth these hidden intimacies of our life to others, to the world around us, to God. Voice is part of what it means to be human, appropriately human. And growing up, I had one. But that changed. When? When I became a Christian. Well, actually, that's not fully true. It happened when I became involved in the church. And I I knew this. For years, I've known this. But it didn't actually, like, hit me until I read some of Lewis's other questions. Like, when was your voice discouraged? When was permission withdrawn? And my answer to those questions was when I became a part of the conservative evangelical church. And that's painful. And it's not of Jesus. Although often scripture has been misinterpreted and twisted to make us think it is of Jesus, but it is not. And again, I want to remind you, I'll post those two questions also on the Facebook page. And while I'm pausing, can I ask you, would you be willing to subscribe to my podcast? Just go over to whatever platform you use and subscribe. That would be really helpful for me. And thanks for doing it. So yeah, the question was, when was my voice discouraged, permission withdrawn? And the answer was, in the church. Voice can be squelched in all kinds of spaces and places, can't they? And I, and I know it happens to all kinds of people, particularly minorities. But for this podcast, I want to focus on how it happens for women. Because the truth is, I focus on women. Study after study shows that girls 11 and under tend to use their voice, say what they mean, but that shifts as they age. Girls learn to speak less. As they age, they learn there are expectations for their tone, and they learn that often when they do speak, they aren't heard. It's a fact. Study after study shows it. And this ought to be like a real wake-up call for us women and for those of us who have daughters. I mean, one of the questions that I've been asking myself is, how did I do with allowing my kids to have a voice? I've been looking back at how I raised them. You know, both of us, Steve and I are both, were both pastors in a conservative evangelical church in Dallas, and that was our setting. That was the home life in which we raised our kids. How do we do? Especially if and when their ideas about faith or Jesus differed from ours. Did we allow voice for that? And i got to be honest, my kids are now in their late 20s and early 30s, and, I, and it's hard. It's hard to listen to them as they share some of the ways I failed them. And I did fail them in some areas we all do, we're not Jesus, and that's just part of parenting. And so is giving them a voice to share how they experienced their upbringing. Yeah, we got to talk about voice, and i got to be honest, it's a painful subject. So... Culture socializes women and girls about voice, and so does our faith communities, especially those that grew up in conservative faith traditions. It may not have been explicitly said what our female voice is supposed to be like, but more often than not, the messages were implicit, but we were told. 
And I want to share with you a few ways in which I heard women's voices defined over the past 20 years. And feel free to pipe in and let us know how it showed up for you too. And you know the routine by now, right? You can go to the Facebook group page. Yes, conversations are happening over there. So I, I remember seeing it when a female seminarian raised her hand to ask a question and her prof told her, listen to this, that she should go home and ask her husband the question. It didn't matter that she was paying a whole lot of tu tuition, the same amount that the guys in the room were paying, and that she was paying a whole lot of tuition money for this person's expertise, not her husband's. It didn't matter. And, and what was even more ludicrous is she wasn't married. How was she ever going to go home and ask her husband? The most important question we should be asking is, why did this prop say that to her? Where did he come up with this? Well, it was his interpretation and application of 1 Corinthians 14.35. If you have any questions, they shall ask their husbands at home, is what the verse says. I'm going to post something about that on Facebook page also, how it's misused to quiet women's voices and perhaps a better interpretation and understanding and application. The point is, this is crazy stuff, right? Go home and ask your husband. This is grad school. It happened, and it still happens. I saw it in my early years of my vocation when I first started thinking about becoming a Bible teacher, and a close friend, a very lovely, godly woman, warned me. She said, be careful, Jackie, because you know, women are more easily deceived when it comes to teaching the Bible. And she was just reiterating what she had learned about the female nature, that women are weaker and fickle and gullible and more easily ensnared, in the, ensnared in the, with the evil one. Now, where did she get that from? That was her thinking. That was her understanding of Genesis and 1 Timothy 2. Now, where does that thinking come from? Well, it's a long history of our church father's interpretation of Eve eating the fruit. And they've interpreted Genesis this way, that women can't think as well. Their, their thought life is underdeveloped, and we are Eve's heir following in her footsteps. And then there's 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15 to kind of back it up. It's not only in Genesis, the Old Testament, it's also in the New Testament. Now, we need to mention that there's a whole lot of patriarchy in which these lenses are being interpreted, and they influence how we see Scripture Patriarchy is absolutely the background of the Bible, but it is not the message. But unfortunately, it is the lens in which Scripture has been interpreted to us for decades and decades and decades. And that is why my friend told me to be careful, because, you know, women can't handle the Scriptures as well as men. And this kind of thinking, underdeveloped thinking in certain arenas, women just aren't capable in their thought life and therefore shouldn't bring forth with their voice, this, this is one of the reasons that a pastor told a group of women that I was training that they should not question their husband's decisions. He makes the final decision, and that final decision is not to be questioned. Seriously, that's what he told these women. And they did it for decades in their marriage. And they were wanting to discuss that. Now, this pastor is wrapped up in his interpretation of this idea that women thought life are undeveloped compared to men, and then also his understanding of submission. And voila, you've got the don't ask his question, don't ask him questions. I'm not kidding. This stuff is still said. This is not something that happened decades ago. This is something I was talking to women about 
two years ago. How we interpret the Bible, and might I suggest misinterpret the Bible, has huge ramifications for us women. But this kind of thinking isn't just happening inside our churches. It isn't something that just happens to women in the conservative evangelical church. It also happens in our workplaces. It looks differently. But let me just share something. I I read this, um, I've been reading through this book called The Silent Sex about implicit gender bias. And it turns out our culture has an implicit bias that men are more apt at things like war, government, politics. So whenever those issues are brought up, women in the room with the same education and qualifications, and here's the quote, are viewed as less authoritative, their influence is systematically lower, and they speak less. And when they are speaking up, they are not being listened to as much, and they are being interrupted more, quote, unquote. And yes, I'll post that article on the Facebook group page. You're starting to see a reoccurring thing, right? And I want to I post it because this article also gives some solutions about how not only can we invite women to use their voice at the table, but how we can ensure that her voice will be heard. These are important things, not just for us in the faith community, but also in our workplaces. This type of thinking is the very reason why I didn't let men join our women's Bible study. They asked, and I said no. And I told them they had the wrong hormones, all in humor. It wasn't the truth. I knew the implicit bias would fly around the room, and I knew that if men were present, women would defer their voice. And I wasn't going to have it. I mean, I long for women to engage the Bible and theology and Jesus and how it intersects with their everyday life. And when women do that, when they use their minds and they develop their thoughts and they give to voice them, well, they gain confidence. Voice is a powerful thing. One more example. And this one includes not only the woman's literal voice, but also her body language. Because you and I both know that only 7% of what we communicate is through words. What we actually speak is only 7%. 38% comes through tone, which is why I constantly said to my kids when they were growing up, tone, I want you to listen to the tone. Now that I think about it, I said that to Steve a few times too. <laughs> it's not just the words, it's the tone, right? Tone is 38%. 55% of our communication comes through our body, 55%. So think about that. Add it all up, and what do you got? 93% of what we are communicating is nonverbal. Voice includes the 93%. All of that is important, and all of that is really important when I train women how to preach. So see, I have this class. It's called She Can Teach Training, and it's this class where women gather together for an intensive weekend to learn homiletics, and that's just a fancy way of saying the art of preaching homiletics. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. I got to back up and share something. Some really cool things I learned about my doc in my doctoral work about homiletics and gender. Let me just share this one thing. So like, for example, did you know that women tend to use more emotionally laden words like I wish, I hope, I think, I feel. And when women speak, they use approximately five tones, whereas men use like only three. And this is important because those emotionally laden words with tone range can make a woman sound more emotional than a man. Not that she is more emotional, but she sounds more emotional. And perhaps this is one reason why men struggle to listen to female preachers, particularly those who have full range of tones. Fun facts. Okay, back to the course. (laughs) 
So we spend a weekend together learning homiletics, and as we do, we have a lot of hang time, we eat meals and chatting, and all the while, I'm observing how each woman speaks, I listen to their cadence, their tone, I watch how they use their bodies, their hands, their facial expressions, I listen to what they talk about and what they leave out, because all of that stuff adds up to voice. And after the weekend, they go home, and together, back and forth through the computer, we are preparing, working together to help them prepare a sermon that they're going to preach in front of the class at the end of the month. And inevitably, when we reconvene and they stand up one by one to preach, I find more often than not, and I've been doing this for well over a decade, more often than not, women shrink back. I mean literally. They try to make their bodies smaller, and their voice gets some take on this weird childlike Sunday school teacher voice. I end up spending half of my time in that class encouraging and challenging. Come on, show up. Don't be someone else. Don't be less of you. Show your full self, your cadence, tone, body movements, experiences, understanding of scripture. All of it needs to be present. Now, I know what you might be thinking. This isn't a woman's issue. Everyone freaks out when they speak in front of people. Yes, that's true. But I've trained men too, and I can tell you, it's not the same. And there are multiple reasons why that is. Like, women have fewer role models. And in the third episode of this series, we're going to be talking with a professor about how important role models are for helping women find their voices. So role models is one of the reasons. But secondly, in the evangelical world, preaching is like our holies of holies. I I think for the Catholics, it's the Eucharist. But for us, it's preaching. And we've been taught that men are the rightful heirs to the holies of holies. And so I watch year after year women hold back. They literally shrink. These are just a few stories. There are lots more. And I know that you have your own. And I'd love to hear them. Seriously, leave a story on our Facebook group page. So this takes me to the Bible and Jesus. We got to get to the Bible. More importantly, we got to get to Jesus. Think about the usage of voice in the Bible. If you're a nerd like me, you can just Google the phrase, voice in the Bible, and read all the verses that pop up. I've done it. It's like, leads me into worship. The Bible actually starts with God's voice. Think about that. God spoke creation into being. In the beginning, God said, let there be, and it was. Yeah, the Bible starts with voice. And then in the Old Testament, there's all these other verses about voice, but I want to fast forward to the New Testament, particularly John's gospel, because that gospel actually harkens back to the creation story in Genesis. Because how does John start his book? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The book of Revelation tells us that the Word is Jesus. In John's gospel, it says that Jesus came in flesh. That means body, and he spoke with words so that we could know who God is, the visible revealing the invisible. See, voice is revelatory. Think about that. Voice is revelatory. Later in John chapter 10, we read that those who follow Jesus will know his voice, the scripture says. See, voice is revelatory but it is also relational. And Lewis is spot on when she said, 
God voiced the world into existence because he wanted to be in a relationship with you and me. In the Bible, women's voices are few and far in between. She's not heard very often. She's not the only one. Um, Most minority stories aren't recorded there either. In the Bible, only 14,000 words are spoken by women in the scriptures. That includes the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Apocrypha. So that's a total of 1.2% of the words found in the Bible spoken by women. An interesting fact, most of those who spoke were considered unconventional for their times, not the typical woman. And I love that. I love that God chose to keep the voices of people who many in society would like to snuff out. The unmarried, the barren, the concubine, the prostitute. See, what that tells me is the world may want to silence us, but God does not. He gave us voice, and in Scripture we see him elevate her voice in a time when her voice was not to be heard. Now take all of that I just said and hold that up against the fact that the longest recorded conversation Jesus had in Scripture was with a woman. Let me say that again because it ought to blow our minds. The longest recorded conversation Jesus had in Scripture was with a woman, the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And yes, she's absolutely considered unconventional. And I love this conversation between this woman and Jesus. And I know I've talked about her before, but I'd love for you to consider her story through this lens of voice. And as I read it, and I'm going to read it to you, ask yourself, what might Jesus be revealing to us? What might he be inviting us into or perhaps asking of us when it comes to this issue of voice? So he left Judea and went, and I'm sorry, I can't see yet. I got to put it in front of me. I'm getting a little old 55 here. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samarian village of Sikar near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, Well, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But, sir, you don't have a rope. Or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, and then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. You have had five husbands, 
and you aren't married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the place to worship while we Samaritans claim it here on Mount Gizmer where my ancestors worshiped? And Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming where it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while these Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. And when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And then just then, the disciples came back, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, and why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jog beside the well and ran to the village, telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. That is the longest conversation of Jesus recorded in scripture, and he's talking to a woman. So what do we take note of this story when we think about it through the lens of voice? Well, first, you have to recognize this woman's voice was being restricted, limited, if not even silenced, at least somewhat in the village, because it's midday. That's when women go to the well to collect water. She's not doing that. It's a sign that she's ostracized by others. We'll figure out, and we learned later, right, that that's probably due to her marital status or lack thereof. And so there's judgments being made upon her, about her. She's excluded. And we read that she's shocked that Jesus spoke to her. He's a Jew. Jews don't associate with Samaritans. The disciples are appalled when they return to find Jesus talking to her. He's a Jewish man, yes, but he's also a rabbi, and rabbis don't talk to unclean people, particularly women. See all the factors at play here? Ethnicity, gender, we would say race, nationality, religion, morality. All of these things play a part in silencing one's voice. In this longest conversation Jesus had with a woman, I think Jesus might be challenging us to consider how we, how we as individuals and as a society, silence others. I like how one man aptly put it, everyone has a voice. We don't need to speak for them. Instead, we need to understand and address the processes that steal their voices or the reasons why they aren't being heard. That is a challenging statement. So here's a thought. To help us understand who's allowed and who's not allowed, how about the next time we find ourselves in a group setting, we observe who gets to speak and who doesn't? Like we just look around and ask ourselves some questions. What's at play here? How can I help those who aren't speaking use their voice? By the way, studies show that we as a community make better decisions and policies when diverse voices have an input at the table. So we want, no, actually, we need other people's voices, especially those we are silencing. We are a better society when all voices are heard. When I hear Jesus in this conversation with this woman, I, I can't help but feel 
emotional. I mean, it's an emotional thing here at how affirming he is being with her. She may have been shamed and marginalized and sidelined by others, but he right here is valuing her. Not only by having this very in-depth, I want to get to know you conversation, but also because of what he reveals about himself. He brings his inner life, this hidden stuff, and he hands it to her. He tells her, a woman, a Samaritan woman, who's had a lot of husbands. And this is the first to hear. He tells her, he is the great I am. The I am, it's the name God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. Jesus says, that I am? Yeah, I'm that. Think about that. He lets her see some things about him that others don't know yet. Remember, the voice is both revelatory and relational. Which takes me to the implicit bias we have towards women, that they aren't as capable in certain arenas of life, war, politics, Bible, doctrine. Jesus doesn't seem to buy that interpretation, that women are more easily deceived or viewed as less authoritative or that our influence is systematically lower. Jesus doesn't seem to think so. I mean, he hands this woman some valuable information. I am the great I am. And she takes that information and she shares it with her whole village and they come to faith. Like Jesus doesn't seem to be worried that she's going to mess his message up. We hear our Christian leaders teaching on passages pertaining to women. We need to put on our critical thinking hats. As I've said many times, Paul's words about women should always be interpreted through the Jesus lens, not the other way around. Jesus is the final word, if you will. And Jesus' words here, they're, they're revelatory, they're relational, but they're also healing, like divine healing, balm to a ruptured soul. I think of the women's question. They're at Jacob's well, right? And she says, are you greater than Jacob? And when John's audience heard that, their minds would immediately go to historic events, things that happened around this well, things like the rape of Jacob's daughter, Dinah. That would come to their mind, a rape, by the way, that Jacob ignored. They would also think of a person being sold into slavery. This is where Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. And now we have the story of this woman, and she too has been ruptured at the hands of others. She's been divorced, abandoned left destitute by five husbands, and now she lives with a man who isn't her husband so that she can at least survive. This question she asked, it's it's wrapped in pain. It's wrapped in a history of ruptures, things that kill a person's soul kind of stuff. And What I love about Jesus is he doesn't ignore it. He brings it up. He asks her about her husband's. And they have this most beautiful exchange. It's, it's very vulnerable, right? She must have felt so vulnerable at that moment. Vulnerability is this idea of being open to woundedness. And I think it's intrinsically tied to this concept of voice. I wish it wasn't, but it is. This idea of bringing forth the most hidden intimacies, thoughts, pains, stuff we want no one to know. Heck, most of the time we try to hide it from ourselves. Bring it up. Bring it out. Put it on the table for others to see and potentially reject, scorn, dislike, disapprove. Vulnerability is a part of voice, and I think you and I actually know that. People sometimes stomp on our inner life offerings, don't they? 
we bring them forth. We risk revelation for relationship, and bam, they get hurt. And Jesus gets that. Just, just listen to how tender he was with her. And I think he's the same way with you and with me. And he offers her, he offers us divine healing. This, this conversation he's giving her, what? Living water, he says. He's offering more and way better than Jacob. It's, this, is, this is resurrection kind of stuff. Jesus is really good news. Jesus is really good news for women. And here's what I want you to know. However you've been wounded, particularly as it relates to your voice, I want to invite you to do what this woman is doing. Come sit at the well with Jesus for a bit. Just sit with him. Talk to him about it. Because not only is he the great I am, he is the great healer. And when we sit with him, know that he listens really well. This is the point that the text is showing us by Jesus sitting, right? Yes, he's tired, but he's sitting. He takes a posture of, I've got all day long. Let's talk. This thing that's happening between him and this woman is just so intentionally, it's just such an intense relational act because speaking depends on listening and being heard. And the God of the universe is asking this woman to speak. Basically, what he's saying to her is, what you have to say is important to me, and it needs to be heard by others. That's what he's saying to her, and that's what he's saying to you. That's what he says to me, too. There's this book I, I read a long time ago. It's called Women's Ways of Knowing. And in this book, these authors research how women develop the self, the voice, and the mind. And they found that women's sense of self and of knowing were intimately linked with their assessment of being able to speak about what mattered to them. Let me say that again. Women's sense of self and of knowing were intimately linked with their assessment of being able to speak about what mattered to them. The authors went on to say that often they heard women talk specifically about the power of a speaking voice in their lives, about speaking up and speaking out and being silenced and really talking and saying what you meant and listening to be heard. I love that phrase, listening to be heard, like really heard. That's what Jesus is offering the woman at the well, to be heard, to really be heard. The authors of this book concluded that voice, mind, and self are completely intertwined. And I suspect Jesus already knew that. To be heard, it's a big deal. Am I even saying it? To be heard invokes all kinds of emotions, doesn't it? When Steve and I were getting, first getting married and learning how to communicate, I'd have to say to him, I know you heard my voice, but did you really hear me? And then I would tap on my chest, boom, boom, you know? Because I was saying, I, I know you can hear me audibly, but I want you to internalize, to take it in, to receive. And Jesus says this very thing in Scripture over and over again, maybe not exact words that I just said, but he said, often, for those who have ears to hear. And every time he said that phrase, the people he was speaking to literally had ears. So what he was saying is, are you receiving, perceiving, truly hearing what I am saying to you? And this is what Jesus invited that woman into. And he does the same for us. But 
I also think he's asking us to consider how are we providing space and place for others to be heard too. I mean really heard. Heard like Jesus hears. And I think about how we women have been conditioned around voice. If you've been raised in the church, you've probably heard 1 Peter 3, 4 mentioned at least once or twice in your lifetime. And the interpretation is usually a cue that we women are supposed to speak quietly and nicely and pleasantly and lovely and always with a smile. And I think about how that verse has been taught, and I just don't think Jesus would be teaching it that way. Because in this conversation, this woman is being snarky, and he doesn't seem phased by it. Think about it. First, she has this vulnerable exchange about her husband, and now she's living with a man. And then she quickly switches to, oh, Jesus, you must be a prophet. After all, he knew all about these intimate things about her. And don't you think in light of his standing, being a religious man and all, and her standing, that she might be a bit meek? Oh, no. She goes into snark mode. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place that we should worship is in Jerusalem. Now, if you listen to what she's saying, she's challenging him, his understanding of religion and rules and Torah and God. Yeah, she's challenging Jesus, who is literally God in the flesh. And Jesus doesn't seem thrown by her assertiveness, her challenge, or her tone. Instead, he kind of seems to be enjoying this back-and-forth bantering between them. And what are they talking about? Well, really deep stuff, like Torah, theology, doctrine. Notice, unlike the prophet seminary, This is not when Jesus advises her to go home and ask her husband. No, because Jesus is inviting her to engage her inner world, what stories she's been telling herself about who she is and who others are and who God is and what the world is all about. He's saying, bring it forth, expose it, bang it up against other thoughts and narratives, and then you can make a choice about what you think, about what you believe, and how you live. And this is how we develop, right? We come to know things. We we get transformed. This is how we do it. We bring our inner life forward, bang it against other ideas. And some of those things that we bring out, they get changed, they get reshaped. This right here, this this concept is called voice. It's also agency through voice. And Jesus is all about it. So let me ask you, how you doing about owning your own voice? Maybe it's time to activate it. For Jesus' sake, will you use your voice the voice he gave you? And will you ask Jesus to help you see who around you isn't being heard? Will you pray for wisdom to know why and how you might be a change agent in that? I want to leave you with Jesus' words today. As he said in the scriptures, for those who have ears to hear. In my next episode... I'll be talking to Dr. Crockett, a professor from Southwestern University, about why women self-silence, particularly in marriages. Yeah, it's a thing. And I want to remind you, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and check out all the resources that I'm going to be posting on our Facebook group page. And be sure to post your stories there. And I also want to let you know, be watching out for a four-week discussion we're going to have on voice You're going to be able to register for those four weeks starting on January 6th. Then you can find the registration on my website page or, yes, the Facebook group page. You got it. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. 
Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.